Some of you don't feel what's going on. <laughs> you aren't feeling nothing. That's okay. There's a reason. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what you feel. The power of God is here. He's doing something. I want to just share God's word with you for a little bit this morning. Guess we can just get out of the way. I got my star dress on, America, Leroy. <laughs> I was up last night at midnight to like all the fireworks. Granted, in my backyard, there was a literal whole fireworks show of like city proportion. The bats are flying around me and I'm like, America. <laughs> Leroy, um, we are excited to celebrate that, obviously, um, and so I hope you have a great time with your families and everything. Uh, don't forget, as we do go forward this month, there are so many great things that are going to happen for us to be together. Um, we have a men's breakfast July 22nd. We have VBS happening the last week in July, which we need workers for. We also have a women's retreat coming up on October 12th through the 14th. This week, we will be sending information out to all the ladies. Uh, me, uh, Lucy and Ethel, we call ourselves, me and Kim Zinni. We took a ride, and it was a ride to where we are going. And by the time we got there, I said, if we don't find a different road, these women are all going to be puking their guts out by the time they get. It is just country. Um, we found another road back. You will be happy, ladies. But we are going to have an awesome time. You don't want to miss it. The cabin we're going to is phenomenal. It sleeps 35 people. So you better be one of the first 35 or you'll be sleeping on an air mattress with Mawa. <laughs> um, so I want you to get signed up for that stuff um, and just it'll be a great time together. So to start in the Word this morning, you can open your Bibles to Luke 10. And verse 25, if you're not bringing your Bible, use your phone. I know a lot of you have your Bible on your phone, but, but you should have the word in hand, ready to look at at any point. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, 
brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. In the verses here in Luke 10, we see Jesus is replying to a question posed by an expert of the law, and he responds with another question. He asks the man, what does the law say? And the expert of the law quotes Deuteronomy and Leviticus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus would go on to repeat these commands in the Old Testament, again in the New Testament, on several occasions. And they were spoken as a bottom line of what it meant to be a Jesus follower. Jesus not only taught about these two great commandments, but he would model them for us. He would fulfill all the commandments through his life and through his death. The word of God can be so deep. It can be so rich. We can study it for a lifetime and never, ever find everything that God has for us in it. The wisdom, the history, the revelation. There is so much to the word of God. But what I love about the word of God is that it's also very simple. If you're hungry to learn the word of God and to obey it, you can find a simplicity in its stories and in the verses that God has given us on the pages of the word of God. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we hear Jesus making a very simple statement in response to what the religious leaders were asking. They were trying to trap him, but more than that, they were in these deep debates about how are we going to be able to do everything we're called to do. There's so much. There's so much in the law. There's so many commandments. So maybe Jesus could make it simpler by just giving us the most important one. And so Jesus simplifies it. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Then he says, all the law and all the prophets hang on these two commandments. In other words, Everything you need to know about obeying God can be found in these two commandments. Could it get any simpler than that? Right? We like to complicate walking with Christ. We like to complicate the word. It's just too much. It's too overwhelming. It's too big. You know what? Then just go to these two commandments. How do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength? And how do you love your neighbor? And I'm going to help you today because I'm going to give you how to love your neighbor. We're going to break down this Good Samaritan story and these two greatest commandments 
In the story, the religious leader asks, who is my neighbor then? I feel like this is kind of like a smart aleck thing or a bare minimum. We always tend to do this with God, right? What is the least amount we can do to check it off and say we're good with God, that we, that we followed the rule? He's asking, well, if I have to love my neighbor, then give me a list of who that is. How many people? What's that mean? How far do I have to go with this? Here's an answer to that question. Luke 6, 32 through 38. Let me read this to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. This means those you love, those you don't love. Who is your neighbor? He even goes as far as to say neighbor could be your enemy. It's the ungrateful. It's the wicked. Even these deserve the love of the Father and deserve to be treated as a neighbor. So what Jesus is saying is absolutely everyone is your neighbor. Everyone. It's essential that we love those who love us. We have a responsibility to love our families, to love our friends, to love our church. These are people God has blessed us with, and we need to not take advantage of those relationships, but we need to invest in them and to love one another. God has called us to sacrificially and wholeheartedly love one another. We must be willing to share what we have, including our time and resources. We need to be available emotionally and physically to love each other in this church. We must be. I was blessed to see um, yesterday so many gathered together, and, and I know there was a graduation party on Friday, and it's just like a family reunion. Different people are having different events, but you know what? They didn't just invite their cousins and their aunts and uncles and their besties from church. There was a range of people from all different circles. We have got to get out of this thinking if we invite our close circle from church and our family that we've done some great exercise of love. The world does that. That's not any different. We must love big. We must love in a big way. And we're not just called to love and care for one another because it meets the needs. That's important. We need to meet the needs of each other in the body. We have been called to do that, and it's a responsibility. 
If you joined this church, you promised to be part of a family, not to just come and take the word and leave. But you promised to engage with one another and be part of each other's lives. But it's not just for our benefit. There is a greater purpose in our love for one another. We are called to love one another because the Bible says this is the way the world will know Jesus. It says our love for each other will be so vibrant and just like electric that people will be drawn into that love. They don't know why. They don't know what makes the difference. But then when we connect with them, they learn that it's him. It's his love. And then they want it. They want to experience his love. And so we love well so that we can shine to the world. Sometimes we are really good about loving each other. We would do anything for the people that we love. And I feel like most of you would. But God has called us to a higher standard than just loving those who love us. If that is what we do, then we will remain this group, this size, these people, this level. That is where we will stay, a comfortable club. I love how Jesus said the second commandment is like the first. Did you catch that? He said, and the second commandment is like the first, but it's not. The first commandment says, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. And the second one says, love your neighbor as yourself. Guess what? They're both about loving God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Because if you are loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you cannot help but love other people. And if you're not feeling the love for people, I guarantee you it is a love problem between you and God. It's not happening. Amen. It is not happening. In another story in the Bible, we hear how it is impossible to love God and not love people. In Matthew 25, Jesus talks about a king separating the crowd into two groups. One group would enter heaven with him, and another group would not. The group that would not enter the kingdom of heaven, he told them, it was because you did not feed me, you did not clothe me, you did not visit me when I was in prison, you did not care for me when I was sick. And they say, what do you mean? We never saw you, we never had an opportunity to care for you. And he says, you did, the least of these people. You had an opportunity while you were on earth to minister to people, but you turned your back. So all the religious exercises, all the the things you're bragging about, all your accolades of great works you've done, they mean nothing to me because you haven't loved. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus shows how different individuals responded to the neighbor that was in need. So I think a question of reflection for us today could be, who are we in the story? Which character? So let's look at them. We have the people who walked by. 
First, we have the priest. Obviously, a priest is a good man, a religious man, probably a righteous man, someone who dedicated their life to the law, to the temple, to helping other people. But he purposely walks to the other side to avoid the man with the problem. Why? Bible doesn't tell us. Maybe he was on his way to do something else good. Probably. I don't think he was walking away to do something bad, but I don't know. Maybe he was on his way to minister to someone else he promised he would help or counsel. Been there. Maybe he was exhausted from all he had already done for God and for the church that day, and he just didn't think he was the one to stop because he didn't have it in him. Have you ever been there? I'm just not the one because I got nothing. I mean, I have been there. The Bible doesn't give us any insight into why the priest didn't stop or what the priest thought of this man, only that he saw him and went far enough away from him that he could continue on his way and avoid the problem. This man had a problem, but apparently the priest convinced himself it was not his problem. Then there's the Levite. This is interesting because the priest was a Levitical priest. So Jesus is using two individuals that are basically the same. This is a Levite. Um, Maybe he could have chosen like a Sadducee or Pharisee or something completely different so we could make another analogy. But I believe obviously Jesus did this on purpose. And here's what I think about that. The priests would have been from the same tribe. They were Levites. The Levite, what it says to me, is that he's a man with the same convictions, the same moral obligations, the same background, the same upbringing, the same type of dedication to holiness. However, he did not have a leadership position. He was just a brother. Why would a Levite pass a fellow human? He obviously does not have the same excuses that the priest does. He's certainly not drained from the spiritual responsibilities of being a leader. He's not carrying the burdens and the sins of the people as leaders do. Yet we read that he too moves to the other side and chooses to pass by the man without helping. It's not his problem either. Could it be the Levite felt he had fulfilled his responsibility? He's not the priest. He's just an ordinary guy. He he did his part. He faithfully goes to the temple. He faithfully gives offering and sacrifices. He has not been called to help a man in this deep of trouble. He's not equipped to get involved. Certainly the priest should help this man. After all, the priest is getting the money from these offerings, so he should take it and do something about the problem. This is not his problem. It's the leader's problem. Can we just stop for a minute and talk about the actual man who's laying half dead in the road? Right? Because the story is about all the people passing by. What about the man who's laying in the middle of the road? This Jewish man has been beaten 
and robbed and stripped of his dignity. His health is gone. He has lost his possessions. He has no ability to get up on his own. He's been left for dead. And if someone else doesn't step in and help him, it's over for him. And we have religious people walking by who decide to justify their choice to ignore him because it's somebody else's job. There is a world of people lying in plain sight that are bruised, that are bloodied. Sin and brokenness have robbed them of their dignity. They have no purpose. They see no value in who God has made them, and they don't trust anyone. They've been stripped of everything good God intended for them. And if someone doesn't stop and tend to them, they will die. We have a responsibility to stop. We can't be like the priest, and when God puts a person in front of us who needs our care and help, we justify walking away because of how many other things we're doing for God. And we can't, that's what I bite, shirking off responsibility by saying that's the Salvation Army's job. That's what I give donations for. That's the church's job. That's why we pay tithes. That's what the pastor's for. That's Friends of Recovery Ministries' job to help those people. That's why I gave an offering so they could be helped. Financial giving is a way we can and should help. You are in disobedience if you're not paying your tithes and giving offering. It's a direct command from the Word of God, and you're in disobedience if you're not doing it. However, Financial giving will help organizations. It will help people who can do something we maybe can't do, that can go deeper and get involved. But it's not a substitute for our own personal involvement in the lives of other people. We don't get to give an offering and then kind of walk away and just like shake our hands of it. This could extend in so many different ways. It could be that we ignore special needs because we don't have a four-year degree in special needs. So, oh, I can't be a buddy because I'm not trained. We could choose not to help in the children's areas because we're not a teacher. That's not our calling. We could maybe not pick up a chair because we're more business-oriented. It could go in so many different ways from small to big. There's no degree required to love. You just do it. There are some things you don't need to be a professional in to engage with other people. We're just going to love. God is going to bring people into our life that we need to be willing to stop and minister to. Love is not just being part of a corporate body that meets needs, but love is allowing yourself to be stretched and uncomfortable to become a personal servant. There's one other individual, obviously, on this road, and that is the man we know as the Good Samaritan. If anyone had a justifiable reason to walk past the man, it would have been him. They were enemies. It's safe to say that he could have truly believed the Jew was someone else's responsibility, like the other Jews, right? 
Why aren't they taking care of their own? It was risky. He may not even be entertained as help. But he chose to ignore the hatred and the racism that existed at that moment. And he offered help. As a child, when I heard this, I used to always just imagine, like, the man who was laying in the road was just this great guy who was a victim, and I felt so bad for him. And the Samaritan's like the big bad guy that God touched his heart and made him stop. Maybe it's not like that. The miracle of him stopping may not be God touched the Samaritan's heart and gave him love. Maybe the Samaritan didn't hate him. Maybe the miracle was that the Samaritan stopped for someone who hated him. He's stopping to help someone who believes that he's impure, that he's unholy. They were enemies. We are in a world and a society where as a Christian in general, we are not respected. We are mocked, we're labeled, our beliefs and the motivation and truth behind our standards of living are being twisted and misrepresented. We are unjustly accused of being an enemy of anyone who does not believe just like us. That's not true. This is the work of the enemy to villainize the only ones who can bring revelation and hope to people who are hurting. But the enemy has methodically created a divide to keep them away from us. Here's the vision I have of this. I think of interrogations. I usually watch 2020 and Dateline like every week, and that's about as far as I can go. I can't do CSIs and all that garbage, or I'll be like up for a week straight with my lights on. So I watch, you know, 2020, and in the interrogation room, here's what always kills me. The police will take two groups of people, okay, two individuals, whatever it may be. It could be a family member. It could be someone they think is in on something with them. They will set them in separate rooms, and they will interrogate them with any information they choose, including lies. They will keep them for hours, even days, telling them, we have information on you. We know you did this. Your brother, he turned on you. And, he, and all the while, none of this is happening. But by the time they're done in the interrogation room, they just crack because they start believing whatever they're being told over and over and over again without being fed without give, being given drink, without seeing their family, without any sleep. They're run down, they're exhausted, and they start believing the investigators. Maybe I did do that. I don't know. Now that I think about it, I did get up in my sleep one time 40 years ago. Maybe I got up and beat my wife in my sleep. And they start buying into it. They start believing the lie. It's a very effective strategy because when you're isolated and you're told something, you start believing it and you start questioning the truth. As Christians, we're being lied about in the interrogation room. Linguistic theft, if you've never heard of it, is happening. This is where words are being stolen, good words, and their true definitions are being distorted causing us to feel like we can't win no matter what we say 
because the word doesn't even mean the same thing anymore. So how can we speak to it? Words like love, tolerance, freedom, they're all being redefined with Christians made to look like the enemy when in fact the truth of these words have been perverted and they don't even mean the same thing anymore. Ministry is getting harder. <laughs> Ministering to people is getting harder. It's not as comfortable as it used to be. It's not as normal as it used to be. I get this. I'm with you. We now have to be safer, more creative, wiser, more vigilant as we're offering ourselves to answers to this world. But I, I want to plead with you this morning, don't let the prejudice of the world keep you from stopping when you see those that are in danger. Don't let the fear of what they think of you or the fear that they may be hostile and reject you stop your help. Don't let the differences in their behavior or their appearance between you and them make you forget they are a soul. They are a child of God, made in his image and destined to belong to him. Don't let their captivity escape you. They're not enemies, they're prisoners. We don't treat prisoners like we treat an enemy, but we have started doing that. We have, we have forgotten why they are in this situation and this condition because they're being held captive by lies, and we have the truth. We're getting ready to celebrate Independence Day, and we are going to reflect on the freedoms we've been granted in this country. That is due to the sacrifice of the love of others that we will never even know. As Christians, we are going to celebrate our freedom to worship. We're going to celebrate the moral truths from the Bible that this nation was founded on, one nation under God. But our nation looks very different than it did when it was conceived in liberty. We can look at the condition of our current culture and feel discouraged. We can begin to almost quarantine together, if I could use that word. I know none of us want to ever hear that word again. But are we self-quarantining? Instead of, instead of engaging the world and pushing into that darkness, we're like, we got to get together. We got, come on, come on. We got to get together. We got to quarantine in here. If we quarantine, what happens out there? What happens to that dying world if we're quarantined? They are left alone without the vaccine, may it be. <laughs> Us, too soon. All right, maybe, <laughs> not getting into that. The world may seem more aggressive than ever when it comes to God, the God we represent, but don't buy in to the interrogation. In the world's interrogation room, here's what the enemy is saying. They don't love you. They're hypocrites. They think they're better than you. They're judgmental. You'll never be accepted when they know how you live and what you do. They're hateful. 
they don't understand, they're small-minded, they're uneducated. Familiar? Here's what's happening in our interrogation room. The enemy's saying, don't waste your time. They don't want what you have. They'll never listen to you. You don't know enough Bible to start a discussion with them. You'll get caught. Don't even open the door. You don't know how to minister to them. They'll hurt you if you try to help them. You don't have time to get involved with that. This country has seen its best days and the days of revival and truth are over. Come quickly, Lord. Yeah, I want him to come quickly, Lord. Come quickly. But I am not helpless in this society and this culture. We're not meant to lay down and die because our best days are over. Can I ask a question about this interrogation room? What in the world are Christians doing in an interrogation room with the enemy? What are you doing there? Why are you having a conversation with the enemy? See, he tried to start a conversation with me up here about how too much is going on in all your lives for you to be able to freely worship. So you know what I said? That's fine. I'll get them to do it. Right? You aren't in charge. This is God's house. You don't talk to me here. Right? We have no business being anywhere with the enemy. If his mouth is moving, he's lying. I mean, you know better. You know the voice of God and you know the voice of the enemy. You don't have to answer questions. You don't have to listen to scare tactics and conspiracy theories and how unqualified you are, how your influence is no longer needed here. The enemy will have you believing God is not wanted or needed in this country anymore. Wow. Here's the truth. This country was founded on God and belongs to God, whether people choose to believe it or not. That's the truth. There's one king. There's one ruler. His name is Jesus Christ. The Bible says he sets up kingdoms and he tears them down, but one day there will be one kingdom and one king. It's already happening. It's just the world has chosen not to acknowledge it, but that doesn't change it, and it shouldn't change it among the body of Christ. We need to operate like we understand how kingdom functions. This world will confess that he is Lord. Your influence here as the remnant of God is necessary in order for righteousness to prevail. Righteousness will prevail. No person, no movement can stop the power of God from moving when his people call out and they choose to stand up. In response to some of those lies, here are some more truths. Sharing God's word and his love are never a waste of time. You don't need to be able to recite the entire Bible to share God's love and change somebody's life. The world is more desperate than ever, and they're dying for what you have. 
They may not be your BFF right now when they're in the throes of sin. That's a best friend in case you're not hip to the BFF stuff. They may not be your best friend when they're in the throes of sin and your message and your lifestyle may be repulsive to them. But know this, when they run out of hope, they're going to come looking for the real. Amen. I've been told off to my face, but when they were desperate, they come running in the sanctuary, fall into my arms and cry for an hour in my lap. Why? Because you can try it all out there, but it's, it's not the real. The Samaritan chose to take action. And I like one of my favorite quotes here. You can't fake showing up. Ouch. I didn't know who that was, but now I know it was a guy named Joe. <laughs> right? Just a friend of Tara's. I love that. Gosh, we talk such a big game. <laughs> we talk about everything we want to do for God, about how, you know what? You can't fake showing up. Show up. Be present. Do it. How did the Samaritan love? He tended the man's wounds and addressed his immediate physical need. Are you willing to do the unspiritual, no glory work? Just the dirty, ugly work. He poured oil and wine on the man and placed him on his own donkey. In other words, he took all the items that were meant for his comfort and his ease on the trip, and he forfeited them and gave them to someone else, someone who didn't work for them, mind you. Then the Samaritan took the man to an inn, and he cared for him there. He spent the night with him. Not sure how this would affect his reputation and how this impacted his plans for the night, but I'm pretty sure that his plans did not include what was happening. Can I just tell you, ministry is not convenient. But the Samaritan chose to put the man's needs before his own plans. And he was willing to risk what others might say about him in order to do what was right. Finally, he not only rescued the Jew from immediate danger and provided shelter and care, but he gave money to the innkeeper to continue caring for the man long term until he was well enough to enjoy his second chance at life. If we want to be the Samaritan in the story, it's going to cost us. And it's not going to be easy. If we want to love like God loves, we need to be willing to walk with our eyes wide open to the needs around us. Because we can be that person. We see it. You can pretend you don't see it, but you saw it. We can do one of those. Oh, oh there, there was a hurting man laying in the road. I had no idea when I was on my way into Kohl's. Yeah, you saw it, but you had a plan, right? Something you wanted to do. I don't have a day in my life that I, not one day that I don't come in contact with someone. It could be a smile. It could be a hold the door. It could be a long discussion. It could be whatever, but I know God puts people in my path every, open your eyes, be willing. 
slow down. Be willing to look for them. We're not going to be able to justify or make excuses for why we won't stop. Our act of love is not going to be a quick, comfortable, one-time donation of money or time. It's going to be a commitment of our lives. We'll need to make a commitment to Christ ahead of time that we're willing to cancel our own plans if God puts a higher priority in front of us. And we will need to refrain from making ridiculous schedules that consistently keep us out of the house of God or from being available when God asks us to help someone. We will need to create our schedules around the fact that we are servants of the Lord. We don't belong here, you guys. Like we're making our schedules around hobbies and vacations and summer activities and winter fun and we don't belong here. So if we can enjoy some of those things, wonderful, and I want you to, I do. But you know what? I schedule those around my God commitments, not the opposite way. If it's interfering with a commitment I already have to God, I can't, I can't sign up for it. I can't do it. This is the kind of love that's going to transform the world. Sacrificial love. It reminds me of one of our core values. We give up things we love for things we love even more. Can I tell you what those love even more are? Things do not compare to people. We give up things for people. That's what we love even more. We've got to be willing to be there for the long haul. We can't just take people, bandage them, give them money, and then be like, see ya. Hope you feel better later. Are we willing to welcome them into our families, into our homes? Are we willing to invite them to our events? Yes, we are, right? Are we willing to let them in our circle of friends so they can have friends? Are we willing to be patient and disciple them and care for them? Wounded people are difficult to care for. And someone who's been left for dead would significantly have extensive injuries and issues that would mean a long and hard recovery. Will we stay for the long haul for that? Or will we abandon them? I know that we can do this, but the only way we can is if we can go back to that very first commandment. The second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. What is the first commandment and the greatest? Anyone remember? Throw it out. What is the first and greatest commandment? Love God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. There is absolutely no way that you can love selflessly or sacrificially without the love of God. That's why it's first. First, you have to love God with everything that is in you. And then that love will begin to bubble out of you. You won't even have to think about who is your neighbor. It will bubble out of you to people you don't even know. Ella keeps telling me, Mom, people don't want to talk to you that don't know you. I'm like, yes, they do. 
And so when they start talking to me, I say, see, they like me. They want to talk to me. It will just happen. You will begin to obey God. You won't have to think about it. If you're in love with him, if you passionately seek him with your mind, your heart, your will, then his love will th flow through you to do something that's impossible for you. I'm going to pray for you. And um, as we close here, you know, maybe you identify with one of these people in the story. I think I identify with all of them at some point in my life. There are times I'm the priest. There are times I'm the Levite. There are times I'm the Samaritan, and I'm really pleased with how I have responded. We're not perfect. We're just vessels. So we just need to learn and grow in Christ and not beat ourselves up about opportunities we've missed, but just look for the next one. But maybe some of you are none of those. Maybe you're that man on the road. And you are beaten up, you're broken, you don't have any energy even to get up to help yourself. I want to encourage you, this body of believers is who can love you. We will care for you. You can trust us to pray with you, to believe the best about you, and to declare God's will for your life and his promises for you. If that's you and you need prayer, maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe you don't have this love because you've never come to know the Lord as your Savior. I would love to pray with you. I will be here after the service. I will wait for you. I want to just pray for all of you right now. If you could just stand, we're going to dismiss here in prayer. Again, I thank you for being here. If you're new, we're, we're glad to have you. If this is your first time, fill out a visitor card, connect with us. Um, you can meet me after church. Always remember to take your tithe and offering and put it in the offering boxes in the back. This is your act of worship. And so we encourage you not to forget that, but to make it a priority for your life. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this body, this family. I thank you for the love that exists here. God, it's palpable. People who visit, people who uh, come with family, they say, gosh, I can just feel so much love here. And I know that's you. That's not us. God, I know you're wanting to take us to different levels. You're wanting to expand our capacity to love. You're wanting to stretch our comfort zone and, and help us to be able to sacrifice what is necessary to see a harvest of souls that need you. God, give us courage, give us strength, help us to tap into your love, not our own love, not our own abilities. God, anoint each and every person in this building. They have their own circle. They have their own mission field when they leave this building that you've called them to. Empower them and anoint them. For those who are hurting this morning that are broken and beaten, God, let them know you love them. They are not alone. You have not abandoned them. And there is hope and a second chance for their life, God. We love you. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. Amen.